0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to episode one of a brand new We're Not Nordic Adjacent mini series entitled Weezin' the Joes. Let me explain what that is to you, ladies and germs. I had a thought a while back when we weren't doing the podcast where, I don't know what made this come to mind, but I was thinking about the group Weezer, and I was thinking about how At least among folks of my age, the general consensus is that the first three Weezer albums are pretty awesome. And the consensus is also that the 15 or whatever that they've done since are not good. And I thought about how many of those I've listened to. Not many of them. And I decided that I wanted to understand the latter 90% of Weezer's discography. And then I came up with this admittedly super clever name And I back-pocketed this idea, and now because we're not doing it, we're not Nordic this week, we're going to start wheezing the juice. So, I think the the best way to start this off would be, and I'm going to make a caveat here, uh, that I am going to pull this information mostly straight off of Wikipedia. But I think it's important to give some background before we get into are the first album that we're going to talk about today, which, by the way, is Weezer's second of many self-titled albums, which is colloquially known as The Green Album. The singer and guitar player of Weezer, if for some reason you don't know, is a gentleman by the name of Rivers Cuomo. He was born in New York, uh, lived in Connecticut, and then moved... At the age of 19 to California, he started a band with a drummer by the name of Patrick Wilson. Um, He evidently moved in with him, with Patrick, and a friend of his named Matt Sharp, who played bass. Long story short, uh, Rivers recorded dozens of demos, a lot of which have come out as solo recordings, They started a band. It was Rivers on guitar and vocals, Matt Sharp on bass, Patrick Wilson on drums, and a gentleman by the name of Jason Cropper on guitar. They played their first show in March of 1992, opening for Keanu... Or uh, maybe they closed. Anyway, they played with Dogstar. Either way. Um, Okay, so they did a demo. Uh, The demo in 1993 got into the hands of an A&R guy from Geffen who signed them in June. They went to New York to record their first record with Rick Kasich, producing Rick Kasich, who was the singer of the excellent 1980s power pop band, The Cars. During, during recording, they fired this guy, Jason Cropper, and they replaced him with Brian Bell, who's still in the band to this day. Their first album... The Blue Album, which is just their first self-titled album, was released in May of 1994. It was described by Pitchfork as integrating, quote, geeky humor, dense cultural references, and positively gargantuan hooks. See, this is why I could never be a music writer. They combine alternative rock, power-pop, polished production, and what all-music critic Stephen Thomas Erlewine calls in... 70s trash rock predilection resulting in something quite distinctive uh yeah so that's probably pretty accurate that album falls somewhere in the middle ground between power pop and alternative certainly uh buddy holly which i think was the first no actually it says the sweater song was the first single buddy holly which i guess was the second single was just a very straightforward pop song, and then you know there's some denser stuff on there. There's a song called "Only in Dreams" that lasts quite a long time, and yeah, it's I love that record. I think most people my age do love that record. It's quadruple platinum in the United States, so they obviously became a big deal. In 1994, they took a break from touring. They all did. They all did some side projects. Rivers. Um, Started writing demos for what he envisioned as a space-themed rock opera for Weezer called "Song from the Black Hole. I think those songs eventually got released elsewhere. Matt Sharp started a band called The Rentals. Uh, they recorded it. Oh, maybe The Rentals came later. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, buh, buh, buh. This is really well rehearsed. Yeah, no, The Rentals... Came out with their first record on October in October ninety five. Patrick Wilson played drums. Matt Sharp played bass and sang. Uh, they had a hit song "Friends of P." If you're friends with P, yeah. Um, uh, they did a second record with the second of record. Pinkerton came out in September nineteen ninety six. Pinkerton is named after the character B F Pinkerton from Madame Butterfly, who marries and then abandons a Japanese woman named Butterfly. Naturally. Calling him, quote, an asshole American sailor, similar to a touring rock star, Cuomo felt the character was perfect for the part of myself that I'm trying to come to terms with on this album. Had three singles, El Scorcho, The Good Life, and Pink Triangle. With a darker, more abrasive sound, Pinkerton sold poorly compared to the Blue album and received mixed reviews. It was voted one of the worst albums of 1996 in a Rolling Stone Weezer poll. However, the album eventually gained a cult following and came to be considered among Weezer's best work. So yeah, I guess I'm not going to further research this cuz this isn't like supposed to be a dry research based show, but really my understanding is that after the blue album Rivers Cuomo received a lot of feedback where everybody was like, "Yeah, we really like your songs, but you don't really we don't know anything about you. You don't put yourself out there personally." And sure enough, Pinkerton features him very much putting himself out there personally. There's songs about him liking women of maybe questionable age. And uh, there's, I mean, Pink Triangle is about falling in love with a gay woman. And it was he put himself out there to the point where i don't think people were quite ready for it at the time but as this as wikipedia states this album has been reevaluated very very positively and is considered by most myself included to be their finest work uh yeah so in 2002 rolling stone readers voted pinkerton the 16th greatest album of all time the 16th wow Jeez, Louise. In two thousand four, Rolling Stone gave the album a new review awarding it five out of five stars and adding it to the Rolling Stone Hall of Fame. It didn't go platinum until two thousand sixteen. Jeez. Does anybody else besides me think that's kinda kinda not cool? Um Publications going back and reevaluating albums—it's like you know what—go fuck yourself. If you didn't like something that was awesome the first time, I don't think you get—I don't think you should get a second chance at it. Now, me as a civilian, I'm allowed to change my opinion on anything. But you know what? If you work for Rolling Stone, fuck it—you get one—you get one shot at understanding that something's awesome. <sighs> so they toured on that until mid 1997. Went on what appears to be another hiatus. Uh, Wilson did a side project. Bell did a side project. Matt Sharp quit. Um, He said of his departure, I certainly have my view of it, as I'm sure everybody else has their sort of foggy things. When you have a group that doesn't communicate, you're going to have a whole lot of different stories. My inkling is that Rivers is hard to work with, but at this point, uh, they only have one more lineup change for the entirety of their existence. So maybe I'm wrong. Uh, It should also be noted that uh, they produced Pinkerton themselves. Uh, So Rivers went to Harvard. He formed a new band. Um, Then Patrick Wilson met him out there. Um, he was going to he. Rivers Cuomo had another band called Homie, and apparently Wilson was going to be in that, and Greg Brown from Cake was going to be in it. Uh, one of the guys from Soul Coughing, and a gentleman named Mikey Welsh, who eventually, spoiler alert, ends up becoming the second bass player in Weezer. Um, in February 1998, Rivers Cuomo, Brian Bell, and uh, Patrick Wilson reunited in Los Angeles to start working on the next Weezer album. Rumors suggest Sharp did not rejoin the band and left the group in April 1998, which Sharp denies. I mean, he left the group. Uh, the specifics of when aren't really important. The group hired Mikey Welsh, who had played with Cuomo in Boston as their new bassist. Mikey Welsh, uh, if you're not aware, unfortunately passed away in 2011. Walsh was also previously a bassist for Juliana Hatfield. Weezer continued rehearsing and recording demos until late 1998. Frustration and creative disagreements led to a decline in rehearsals, and in late 1998, Wilson left for his home in Portland, pending renewed productivity from Cuomo. In November 1998, the band played two club shows with a substitute drummer in California under the name Goat Punishment, sick name, consisting entirely of covers of Nirvana and Oasis songs, something that I think will be... um, We'll be noting time and time again is Rivers Cuomo's predilection for doing really puzzling things and playing Nirvana and Oasis songs exclusively when you're in a very successful band is certainly one of those, in my opinion. In the months following, Cuomo entered a period of depression. Eventually, during this time, he started experimenting with music again and ended up writing 121 songs by 1999. That's another theme that we'll keep coming back to, is that Rivers Cuomo is incredibly prolific, uh, possibly to his own detriment. So eventually, they apparently got a huge money offer to play Fuji Rock Festival. And they started writing again in the spring of 2000. They demoed some new songs. They started playing out again in June. Uh, Also apparently uh, played some small unannounced gigs under the GOAT Punishment name. They did Warp Tour. And finally, in the summer of 2000, they went back into the studio... Once again, under the tutelage of one Rico Kasich to record their second self-titled album, which, as we said, is colloquial, colloquially known as The Green Album. It's due to the mixed reception of Pinkerton, Cuomo wrote less personal lyrics, which is quite clear, as we'll get into in a minute. Anyway, okay, so, Weezer, uh, the, green, the Green Album, second self-titled Released May fifteenth, two 2001, so I'm still playing with the format here, Um, I guess we'll kind of just go track by track more or less, Uh, it got decently favorable reviews, debuted at number 4 on the Billboard 200, it's platinum, so 1.6 million copies. (sighs) Rob Sheffield, a very famous critic from Rolling Stone, called it, oh dear God, once again this is why I could never be a music writer, a totally crunk geek punk record buzzing through ten excellent tunes in less than half an hour with no filler. Uh, the aforementioned Stephen Th- Thomas Erlewine from AllMusic wrote that while the album is essentially "quote just pop punk pop delivered with without much dynamic range but with a whole lot of hooks," nobody else excels at the style as successfully as Weezer does on the album. Rolling Stone also described it as the anti-Pinkerton, which I think is pretty spot on. Okay, so he started as he as they mentioned. This is a really quick. No bullshit album, 10 songs, 28 minutes. You start out with a song called... Oh, and in terms of the production, this is a really, really crisp album. Everything is really loud, and it's... If you're going to do a pop record, this is probably the production you should strive for. There's not a lot of... um, It sounds big without sounding overly big. It doesn't sound overly stuffed. It's really... There's not... To, from what I can remember, and I just listened to it today, there's n- really no additional in- instrumentation besides the two guitars, bass, and drums. It's just really a, a very, um, very straightforward pop record in a lot of ways. So you start with Don't Let Go, which is really a really strong album opener, a really good hook, really catchy. Uh, then you go to Photograph, which became a, a fairly big hit single, also catchy. Number three was the lead single, which is Hash Pipe, which I liked a little bit less. It's got kind of a memorable guitar riff, but I think the lyrics are kind of stupid. And the I don't tend to like falsetto vocals, which he does quite a bit in that song. Now, number four is Island in the Sun, which, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the last great Weezer songs. Now, I could get proven wrong, because as I do this, I have a lot more Weezer to listen to, but... Yeah, Island in the Sun is a great fucking pop song. It's just really... The, on first listen, maybe the fact that he keeps repeating hip-hip sounds kind of silly, but I think it gives the song a really distinct calling card. I think the dichotomy between the, the clean verse parts and the, the more distorted chorus is really gives it some um, some dynamic range. And yeah, that's, that's a good tune. Then you get to number five, which is Crab, which is... To me, one of the only instances – now, I, I haven't done this yet, but listening to this earlier, I was thinking about how the lyrics to this are kind of weird. It's kind of one of the time. it feels like one of the times where he let Pinkert, Pinkerton Rivers come back. All right, so crab, crab, if you need it, she put her knickers on. She said she's feeling lonely, and I say that's okay. She won't be coming back around here, no way. She said she's feeling lonely. Crab at the booty, taint gonna do no good. Um, Crab at the booty, is that supposed to mean grab? Is he talking about crabs literally? I don't know. I didn't like this song very much. Do you have an interpretation of this song? Please write it, nordicpod at gmail.com. Uh, the next song is called Knock Down, Drag Out, which is really, really catchy, too. Side B, I guess you would call it, is, I feel like the songs are a little bit less distinctive. They kind of go by in one big blur, but none of them are bad or anything. They've all got really big, good hooks. Uh, the last song is called Oh Girlfriend, and at 3 minutes and 49 seconds, it might be a little overly long for me, but... I don't know. All in all, I think that this is a pretty solid record. I don't like it as nearly as much as the first two, uh, but I feel like there are some very serious Weezer heads that would say that, they, that this record isn't good, and I don't think that's true. Perhaps I've heard Island in the Sun and Hashpipe one too many times in movies or what have you, but yeah, this is solid. I mean... It's 28 minutes. What else are you going to do with 28 minutes? It's not like it's some overly long, dense epic. It's starting to get cold out, but when it gets warm again, I say crank this one with uh, the windows open. I think it's that kind of record. So I'm going to grade this. I'm still playing around with this, but I think that... um, As of now, I'm going to grade the Weezer records on a scale of 1 to 10 pairs of horn rim glasses because, as we know, that's River's signature look. I'm going to give the Green Album a solid um, 6.5 pairs of horn rim glasses, which I guess would technically be 6 pairs of horn rim glasses plus a monocle. Um, and that's going to do it for the first episode of Wheeze and the Joe's. I hope you liked it. Um, the next record will be Maladroit from 2002. The first record with Scott Schreiner. They're new at the time and, now cur- and still current bass player. I don't know how often I'm going to do these. It might be something I just kind of keep in my back pocket for Wednesdays in case we don't have a new episode of We're Not Nordic. I'd love to have some guests on. We'll see how the whole thing evolves. We have, let's see, let's let's see how many more of these I will I will have to do to cover their entire discography. Uh, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve more, and plus they did the uh, they did those four season EPs. So I guess I'll have to do those too. So at least fifteen or sixteen more episodes. So I'll see what I can cook up moving forward, and that'll be that. I hope you like this. Let me know. Let us know right into notnordicpod at gmail.com, and hopefully we'll be back with a new episode next week. Bye.